What's up, folks? Jose Nino here, bringing you another fantastic episode of El Nino Speaks. Today, I'm joined by the irrepressible and uncensorable Anthony Sabatini. What's happening, man? Nothing much. Just staying busy practicing law uh, full time right now. So that's what's going on. For those who are unaware, Anthony was previously on my show on El Nino Speaks 14, which is titled Bringing Constitutional Carry to the Sunshine State. Make sure to peep that episode if you missed it. Now, my audience has grown quite a bit since then. So, Anthony, could you just give them a concise bio about your political career? Sure. I'd love to. Yeah, man. So uh, Anthony Sabatini, I'm from Central Florida. I grew up here in Central Florida. I was born in New York, but moved here when I was a kid. So I've lived here for 30 years. I went to University of Florida for college and law school and uh, ran for city commission. I was a city commissioner while I was in law school. And then right when I got to law school, and I've been in the state legislature currently and also for the last four years. And my term is ending next month. So this will be my last month in the state legislature. I ran for Congress last cycle, or this cycle rather, and uh, lost in the primary. It was an eight-way race. I got second in the primary. It was a $9 million race. And uh, it was pretty tied up towards the end. And then Kevin McCarthy, (laughs) who I think is going to go down as one of the worst speakers of all time, uh, dumped almost $2 million against me in the last 32 days. So it really swung things uh, a different way. I ended up getting second place and lost by 14 points. Yeah, I was just going to mention that that like you ran a pretty explosive primary for Florida's 7th congressional district which unfortunately did not result in a victory. Could you run us through in like detail about what exactly happened and what were some of the key takeaways from this ordeal? Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm generally considered conventionally defined the most conservative member of the state legislature. I mean, the most MAGA, most America first, most pro-liberty guy in the legislature. So I was pretty well known uh, going into the race. I was able to raise almost uh, 1.5 million, you know, over the course of a year, just based on having a lot of statewide name recognition and a lot of support from the grassroots. I mean, being despised by the lobby corps and the establishment. Uh, did not hurt me in still being able to raise a lot of money and get a lot of support behind me. But, uh, you know, basically the race, the way the race worked was a guy got in who was a self-funder. He put in almost $2 million of his own money. And uh, that with a combo of Kevin McCarthy coming in against me at the very end just killed it. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, basically what you see in primaries now is everyone sounds exactly the same. They're not actually the same, but they sound the same. Because everybody can very easily disguise themselves as an America first MAGA type candidate. And let's be totally honest, the voters really don't know, sadly, uh, who's who. And so they just vote for whoever says that, you know, they're the most base principled guy or whatever. So it was basically everybody running the exact same campaign. But at the end of the day, it just came down to money. And uh, the voters don't always know one candidate from another, but the establishment absolutely knows. Yes. And so basically the one or two guys that were competitive sounded like me, talked like me, adopted the same positions as me. I mean, pretty, pretty strong conservative positions talking about immigration moratoriums and non-interventionalism and everything else. 
But the truth is that the establishment knew that those people wouldn't really actually do anything when they got to D.C. And so they totally set their sights on me and used a shell pack, the same basically setup they used against Joe Kent and other America First guys across the country, Carl Palladino, Madison Cawthorn, a bunch of people, basically the same setup and just dumped a couple million dollars at the very end. And that was all that was needed because it was a tied race into the end just based on money. When it became clear that you weren't going to be coming out on top in this primary, what was going on through your head? You know, just wanted to finish strong, make sure we obviously uh, did the best we could and, uh, you know, honored everyone's votes and make sure our guys were motivated to the very end. So that way, you know, we didn't we didn't never gave up on the campaign, but we knew a couple weeks out when the almost two million dollars came pouring in and then my opponent put another half million of money in that it was pretty much over at that point. So, no, I was just fighting to the very end. And then, of course, making sure that all the guys who worked on the campaign landed somewhere else, you know, I make sure that people understand elections are just one thing. I mean, it's not the end all be all. It's one step. You know, if you lose an election, you need to pivot to the next thing you can do to fight to save the republic and save the country. And sometimes that means another election, uh, the next cycle, but often it means times it means just getting involved in a different part of the fight in the meantime. So that's where the focus was afterwards. So let's talk about the Republican candidate for Florida 7th, Corey Mills. Would you say this guy is solid with a few flaws here and there, or is he a neocon in populist clothing? Well, yeah, he's definitely neocon. I mean, obviously, he just what he did is he listened to his consultants. He got in the race. There's actually a clip where the guy dumped millions and millions and millions of his own money uh, trying to win the seat. He had never lived in Florida, never voted in Florida in the last 20 years. He grew up there as a kid 20 years before, but he came back just to run for the seat. And uh, a different part of Florida, that is. And there was a clip where uh, he was on the Tucker Carlson show because he paid a lot of media guys to get basically as much media play with conservative media as he could. And he basically adopts George Bush's positions on what we need to do to fix and make <laughs> Iraq and Afghanistan stable and all this stuff. And Tucker Carlson just starts laughing in his face and says, dude, you're a, a George Bush Republican and you're you're basically advocating those positions. And he tries to weasel his way out. I, I bring that story up to say when he got in the race, I think his consultants told him, listen, you need to like disguise your positions a bit more and use some different language. So that way you don't look like some kind of Dan Crenshaw type. And so that's basically what happened is he started eventually trying to disguise his positions and what he believed through just parroting the MAGA language. I mean, better than most people, most candidates did in the whole country. But that's basically what he did. And uh, he kind of tripped up a few times. At one point, he literally flew over to Ukraine (laughs) to meet with the State Department, to advise the State Department of what they need to be doing to basically further our proxy war in in the State Department. He's a career, I forgot to mention this, he's a career federal government contractor who made all his money working for the State Department, foreign actually, countries, uh, countries like the UAE, doing security. So no, I mean, he's obviously part of that, but he just, he would sort of step away from talking about all those things so that way he wasn't seen as another Dan Crenshaw type. He actually at one point was trying to get Dan Crenshaw's endorsement and posting pictures with him and all this. 
And once again, his consultants sort of talked him out of that and said, you need to you know, step away from doing that because it's not going to help you in a closed Republican primary. And so he effectively did that. But this is not unique. You see this with a lot of the candidates where on paper or on their social media, they just try to disguise themselves as anybody else. I've noticed this, too, where you'll have these Republican types say, oh, I'm against never ending wars and perpetual wars and stuff like that. And it's like even most neocons would tell you that they're against perpetual wars as well. They just want these wars to like end immediately and have like these countries submit to the this global homo LGBT imperium that reigns over us. That's why like, it's like not sufficient to be saying I'm against like never ending wars. It's like, no, we're against like these dumb wars that are well outside of our sphere of influence. And the fact is that it that's such an easy way for these people to just slither in and co-opt an otherwise like America first message. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's very, it's just extremely easy to disguise yourself with voters. All you do is just put out some rhetoric and most people have such a good nature about themselves. They, if somebody says that they have a certain position or that they're a certain way, no one's going to doubt them. They just don't, they just really don't assume that people are really lying. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's just basically it. But I mean, that's, come on, let's be honest, that's most of the Republicans. I mean, we have probably 14 or 20, if you're being generous, really good Republicans, and then the rest are kind of frauds. I mean, no matter what the issue is, we're just now seeing that now Jim Jordan's working against any kind of bill, any kind of antitrust reform to break up big tech. I mean, we've seen this over the last three weeks in the Congress, and how many Republicans knew that he would have such a position like being against antitrust reform to stop big tech. I don't, you know, most people would be shocked if you told them that they think you were messing with them. So, I mean, this is just where we're at in the level of grift in the Republican Party where nobody knows anything about any of the candidates. They don't know who the really bad ones are. They don't know who the good ones are. And just very few people are paying attention. Oh, no doubt that's been the case. This reminds me of the Ron Paul era when he was running as president. You saw a lot of similar uh, intra-party jousting and factionalism taking place. It's a unique time in the Republican Party. A lot of people thought, you know, this cycle was going to be this major step forward in making the Republican Party much more MAGA or populist, put the party more of like a war footing against the left. And the truth is, I really believe, and I think it's just very obvious if you just go election by election, and you cut out the rhetoric and you look at the positions and you look at who's who, that the party actually is sliding back into a closer to the Bush era mentality of the Republican Party. And basically, there has been very little in terms of gains of real MAGA candidates. I think I can count maybe three or four and one or two of them are at risk versus a slew of generic candidates who basically just pledged full, full obedience to Kevin McCarthy, mostly because Jim Jordan is whipping votes for Kevin McCarthy because he wants the nominal position of judiciary chair. So he's willing to push back against any impulse within the Republican caucus to be more MAGA and uh, fight against the MAGA spirit just to get more votes for Kevin McCarthy. And so, yeah, I think the Republican caucus is actually moving much more in the direction of a a uh, big government, sort of uh, Bush-era neocon party, even though the base is changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, undoubtedly. And people need to 
take that into account. Who um, exactly were the big donors and political figures that were propping up Mills' campaign? Uh, he had almost no donors. He wrote himself almost $2 million as a, as a loan to his own campaign. That was it. He raised 300000 I raised one point five. So I raised him basically five to one. But he was able to, because he married into some foreign money, I'm not going to get into it, but it's very odd. It's a very weird situation. People should just do their own research. He was able to spend almost two million of his own money. And that in combination with Kevin McCarthy dumping almost two million against me, you know, you're looking at 3.5 versus 1.5. It's just it's just mathematics. Most time these races are just mathematics. People think it's really about certain policies or you know, styles of campaigning. The truth is a lot of times it just becomes the fact that whereas one guy sitting on TV at twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars a week, you got another guy at five hundred thousand dollars a week. So they're just spraying every channel all day, every single day. I mean at the very end, McCarthy was spending a hundred thousand dollars a day against me on TV, radio, text messages. So the average person would get two text messages a day. I'm talking any voter, not super voters. Two text messages a day. They hit on radio two or three times a day. If they watched two hours of TV a day, they saw four negative ads. And then they would get, obviously, social media and over the top, too. So it was literally $100,000 a day of attack pieces on me every single day for 30 days. So there's just sometimes it's just a money race. Yeah, that's how the cookie crumbles a lot of times when it comes to these political races. Now, as for... Immigration policy, what's Mills like? Is he just the typical Republican who says, oh, I oppose illegal immigration, but I support legal migration, which means expanding migration? He's a really weird guy. So basically, he's one of these people where if you look at the Twitter page and you look at the rhetoric, he's going to tell you everything you want to hear. Oh, we need to do this and we need to lower immigration and this and that. But it all depends on who's in the room. And uh, so like one of his early speeches he gave at University of Central Florida, which is a college next to our district, he was all in for Puerto Rican statehood. Why? Because there was a bunch of kids in the room that wanted that. And he went all in and, and committed to fighting for a Puerto Rican statehood. Later, he was asked about it and he moved away from that. So, you know, just whoever was in the room was whatever he would say. It was sort of a chameleon. And I think that's the big takeaway, not just about him, but any of these candidates is they're going to basically do what they think it takes to get elected. And so this is why people need to be really careful with the rhetoric of a candidate. You know, the, oh, this candidate sounds great. Look at the rhetoric. Well, the truth of the matter is what positions have they really pledged and committed to? I mean, at the end of the day, eight-way race, the only candidate that was willing to pledge to join the Freedom Caucus was me. And that was major, major red flag for educated voters, the voters who knew, you know, how to tell one candidate from another. But most people don't still don't even know what the Freedom Caucus is. So they just they would look and seem like all the candidates were exactly the same. So, I mean, if you're going to ask me positions about, you know, where is he on this? Where is he on that? The truth is a chameleon type rhetoric that he and many of the other candidates use where they would just say whatever anybody wanted. Like at one point there was a debate and they said, was everyone here willing to impeach Biden? I mean, Everybody said they would. They said they would all vote to impeach Biden. But the truth of the matter is, are are any of them going to (laughs) co-sponsor Marjorie Taylor Greene's articles of impeachment? Are they going to file articles independently of the leadership? Are they going to go 
advocate for that position after they get in. I mean, 99% chance all of them don't do that, but they're willing to rhetorically commit themselves to positions during an election that don't reflect on anything they intend to do when they get in office. More of the same, essentially. I mean, here's the thing people really need to understand, and a lot of others just don't. The rhetoric of, okay, this is where he is, like, they look at this sort of uh, scoreboard and, like, here's 25 issues and, you know, here are all the candidates and here are where they all are on each issue. Here's where they all are on each issue. And you can kind of compare and contrast. The truth of the matter is it's all sort of a, a big lie. Once they get in office, the only real question that the most pertinent question, the most important question is simply, do they have the courage to push the leadership of the Republican caucus and act independent leadership. And if they don't have that, if they're not willing to do that, then it doesn't matter what their position is on any of the other bills because they're sim- the leadership controls so much of the agenda. If they're not willing to push them, they're sort of just meaningless anyways. They don't really have real power. And so most of these guys simply are never going to cross McCarthy. Uh, or if they do, it's always in the, it, it's in the safest way possible. And so it doesn't matter what they, it just doesn't matter what their positions are in many ways, because they just simply do, you know, they're going to do what they're told when they get in. The most important quality anybody should be looking for with a candidate is simply do they have the courage to sort of think and act independently and also be principled? They got to be MAGA, but also have the courage to do the right thing. And that's why I suggested earlier we have about 14 or 15 or 16 guys like that and women like that in the Congress. But that's about it. So when you look at the results from your primary, which I am still pretty shocked by, but when you look at the, like the bigger picture, you do see a lot of the same kind of like constraints and limitations that many anti-establishment candidates face in a number of these races. What would you say was like the biggest lesson that any America first conservative can take away from your race? Oh, just, I mean, listen, it's a lot of people want to get into these races and go super hyper detailed and try to figure out the magic formula. The truth is that a lot of times it's just money. My race was totally dictated by money. It was a tight race when we were spending the same. I was down by one point or two points, depending on the poll. And then at the very end, they dumped, Two million against me, and I lost by fourteen points. So that's that's just the way it works. The undecideds broke the other way because they, you know, sold negative advertising saying I was a liberal, even though I'm considered literally in Tallahassee uh, like a right wing extremist, which is hilarious. So that's just the race. I mean, be ready for that. It's still worth doing. It's still worth running because if I didn't run, that two million dollars wasn't was going to be spent against some other MAGA guy, some other America First candidate, most likely, and so. It's very important that you're just running and doing everything right and just hoping that, you know, even if you do everything right, you have a shot to win. You're never going to guarantee a victory in any election. So the best thing you can do is just run again, hopefully for a similar or, you know, or another important position the next cycle. So there's some other opportunities for things to run to and there's other things to do in the meantime uh, to fight in the movement. But you just need to run and raise as much money as you can. And a lot of times the money just dictates the answer. It's not magic. It's not not a magic formula. It's not. Most voters have no patience. They don't they're not really paying attention to the race. Even in the last week, they don't know if they see five candidates attack each other. They still don't even know that the candidates are oftentimes in the same race. So they just don't they're not paying attention. They're not 
tuned in. And so money and just drowning voters out with messaging is usually how you win. That's it. Are there any individuals in the Florida state legislature or a group of legislators that you would say are America first liberty conservative types? I'd say there's three or four out of out of 78. There's 78 elected Republicans in the House. I'd say there's four, maybe five true like liberty populist types. And then you got maybe 10 rhinos. And then you have what I call the happy middle, which is the 60 or 70 people who just they don't really have a belief system whatsoever. They just go with the flow. So if the Speaker of the House or the governor is pushing them one way, they're comfortable with that. If they push them in a different way, they're comfortable with that. They just don't really have a core belief system and they're not they don't really have an aim or goal in the legislature. Their goal is really just have personal power, have some personal prestige, uh, have the appearance of power, you know, have a title and that's about it. Knowing your like body of work I've come to a conclusion you're as relentless as they come when it comes to just putting the pressure on politicians and putting forward legislation that actually makes a difference. In my view, like your electoral defeat is at worst a temporary setback. And I'm confident that you'll be coming out much stronger from this defeat. In the meantime, what projects do you have in mind for restoring order in Florida? Well, I think one of the most important things uh, people can do is get very involved with the formal Republican Party at the state and local level. And you hear about people talk about the precinct project and, and various things. And sometimes you hear about it, like how important it is to initially get involved, but they don't really talk in detail about what the real game plan should be and like specifically about what needs to be done in the Republican Party other than just Getting involved as a precinct person, I mean, that's great, but what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal should be to follow up and sort of do some of the things that are being done right now in Texas. So, you know, what like Colonel West and now Matt Rinaldi did with the, the Texas Republican Party, which is where they're turning basically the formal party into like an accountability organization where they're pushing the legislature, you know, they're highlighting legislative priorities, they're exposing what's going on, they're exposing the records of legislators, they're basically running the ship now. That's what needs to really happen at the state level in every single state. So one of the things I'm going to be getting, you know, very involved in in before my next election is running for chairman of my county Republican Party, which gives me a vote in the state Republican Party, the Republican Party of Florida, RPOF, and moving to get the party to adopt legislative priorities and start pushing the legislature to do more conservative things. We got to get the Republican Party to get out of the defensive mindset and actually go on offense and start adopting positions that are going to hurt the left and defeat the left and beat the left and try to reform and create a more conservative society here in the state of Florida. A lot of what we're doing in Florida gets all this attention, but if you look at it, if you really stop and think and closely analyze it, a lot of it's still just defense. We're just defending ourselves from the left to a certain extent. And that's just really a losing strategy because we're running out of time. I mean, even the the bill in Florida that got called the Don't Say Gay Bill, the which is really the parents' rights bill, at the end of the day, it's sort of a, a feeble bill because it says, well, the left can kind of run all of K-12 education, but you know they can only go so far. There's only so much work allowed them to do. So 
this weak mentality in the Republican Party where they're always playing defense just needs to go away. And I think the fastest, best way to do it is to get grassroots folks to take over their county parties, take over the state party, and then turn the state party into an accountability organization where you're literally using state money to go after weak Republicans that do not adopt and push for important offense-minded conservative reforms like universal school choice, uh, con carry, e-verify, things that actually help push back and beat the left and, and regain uh, parts of our lost society. So that's one of the things I'm going to be really involved in over the next 18 months is reforming and getting very involved in the state Republican Party. But then uh, I think next cycle I'll be running for a different office. I think it's very important that you know, people look at who their office holders are and say, you know, if they think they could do a better job, they're more conservative, they have the right ideas, and the person in that position doesn't, that they actually just get in there and run. They need to run. You know, I ran for Congress because I knew that the people running were going to be just more of the same, the typical empty suit Republicans that we have already. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of horrible ones in power right now. And so that's why I ran. And I'm going to continue to run until we get more people in office and encourage other people to run. So that's sort of working on the meantime and then prepping for my next run. But also another side project I'm involved in is I'm hosting a conference, a training where I have 25 people I've selected around the state where we're going to be doing basically an intensive training for them to prep them on how to run for office and getting them to run for uh, hopefully state house positions, but definitely different offices throughout the state next cycle. I'm not really interested in the general election here. It's pretty safe in Florida and people need to help with that stuff. I mean, definitely. But for me, I know that the real way to save the country is to get uh, very strong MAGA conservatives elected in Republican primaries. And so we're already focused on the 24 primary. That's really the, already the focus. Are there any organizations in Florida that are America First focus or have at least started going in that direction just because the political winds have blown so strongly towards populism in general? No, I think uh, – I think, uh, you know, there's some of that. I mean, there's definitely more of an appetite, but I think I still think there's a deep lack of imagination on the right of what we need to be doing. I think uh, most Republicans still think that defense is is the winning strategy. And, uh, you know, call me pessimistic. I just don't I'm not seeing people thinking and talking about the things we need to do to save the country. I just see right now still a majority of Republicans in office talking exclusively in terms of defense and just going back to where we were maybe two years ago, thinking that somehow that's a winning strategy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Weird like, guard actions. Yeah. We need to go back to where we were, you know, with Trump. It's like, actually we were still losing. That's why we elected Trump in 2016 was we were lo- We lost most of society. Like we lost the middle class. We lost the rule of law. We lost our institutions. And now we want to get them back. We don't want to go back to where we were two years ago, we want to go back to where America was great. So it's kind of a mind uh, game. So no, I don't, I don't see that happening yet, but there is some more energy for populism. Uh, I just don't, the biggest problem we have right now is getting voters to understand who the real deal Republican elected officials are. And it's getting harder and harder because the consultant class and the candidate class, the elected class is still really part of the ruling class. And they've really still taken advantage of the average Republican voter by easily masquerading and fooling them and thinking that they're 
people that are fighting to restore a great society in the country and they're not. And uh, we got to just get people educated. You know, people always ask me, what, what about this? What do you think about this trend in politics or this candidate? Or this and I said, the only thing that really matters right now is just getting the grassroots to distinguish who we need to be electing and who has a plan to actually save the country. Because I'm telling you right now, almost no one does. And uh, the Republican leaders we have on the scene that get talked about still aren't really talking in the language and thinking in the language that's necessary uh, to, to fix the country. They can get us into a defensive posture again, but that's just a losing proposition like we discussed earlier. We need to actually restore the country, rebuild the middle class, make America great again. Sounds corny. Sounds hokey. It's what we need to do. No, very few people are talking about it. <laughs> they think going back to where we were two years ago is making America great again. That is not. It's like not. That just puts us back to where we were two years ago, which is fine. But it's a good start. But it's not what we need to do to fix the country. Indeed. As they say, the best defense is actually offense. And I think that will do it for today, man. Anthony, where can my listeners keep up with your latest projects? Sure. Yeah, well, definitely still uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm a gab, getter, truth, everything. Uh, you can find me based on any uh, any social media at Anthony Sabatini or vote Sabatini. And then my website, Sabatini for Congress, I've kept up because uh, my new pack that I have, but I'm raising money for these candidates to run for various offices around the state, which is called Florida Freedom Action, is now housed on that website. So it'll be up there until we start a new site. But right now, it's mostly uh, just my social media handles. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Anthony. And to my audience, thank you again for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.